This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome back. You are listening to Dollars and Change here on Business Radio 111, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Sandy Hunt. And I'm Cheryl Coolman. And we are glad that you're with us today as we continue these great conversations. In this segment, we are going to be talking to Carla Javits, CEO and President of Red F. So let's just jump into our next guest, Carla Javits. Carla, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited to talk to you. Cheryl's quite a fan of Red F. Quite a fan. Has been following it for a while. But for our listeners who aren't familiar, why don't you start by telling us what is Red F? Yeah, Redif is what we call a venture philanthropy that provides uh, capital specialized advisory services to social enterprises. And those are a special kind of business that helps people who otherwise would be shut out of the workforce to, you know, to get jobs, to keep jobs, to build a better life. Um, the people who are being employed have had histories of homelessness or incarceration, um, you know, young people not working, not in school. And uh, social enterprises give them a real job in a supportive work environment and then help them move on into the mainstream. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we know how important jobs are, right? Because if you're, if you're shut out of the, the job uh, system, you're, you know, the future is really grim around that. So making sure that you are having a kind of entryway for people to get employed and learn how to really work, that becomes so vital and important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, work is really, you know, in this country, it is at the root of, you know, kind of what we do as adults. And uh, when you're shut out, it, it, you know, obviously you don't have a paycheck, which is really tough. But in addition to that, uh, you know, you're not really uh, participating, adding uh, value, you know, being part of a, a team, uh, contributing yeah. you know, yeah. and having the dignity, self-respect to that. And I think people really really feel that. And so I want to break down the business model a little bit for our listeners and and sort of hook everybody in with the impact because Red F has some impressive, you know, why and how this works statistics. So Red F has supported more than 100 social enterprises in 20 states. So tell us exactly what is the role of Red F to these social enterprises? Yeah, uh, you know, Red F provides, uh, you know, similarly to uh, venture capital would for a business, uh, really, the core is capital and advisory service. You know, these are businesses. So just you're like you're any investing other. in these businesses, basically. Yeah, exactly. We're to, we're backing their growth, uh, their sustainability. You know, so they're looking at the market, trying to figure out you know how to penetrate, sell the products or services they have, uh, and and grow. And at the same time, they're trying to, you know, achieve the social impact of, of really employing people who might otherwise have a tough time getting a job. So on that side of the equation, it's sort of how to best create the right kind of work environment and the supports that people need in order to be well prepared for, you know, for the mainstream workforce. So the core of what we do is uh, really uh, assess and identify the best uh, social enterprises, the the most uh, 
the greatest you know leaders of these social enterprises you know anybody who invests in business you're always looking at the leadership we do that too and once we find them then we dedicate uh, financial resources as well as very hands-on advisory services to help them uh, with a you know a very wide variety of things on the business side and then also on the social impact side so, so that you- they're successful and so one thing I want to just make sure is sort of upfront for any, for, I think for our listeners, because this is a convincing storyline, the investment pays off for society with a quoted $2.23 in benefit, in social benefit for every $1 spent. What is it? What exactly does that mean? Yeah, basically what that means is uh, when people go to work, obviously they uh, are earning income from work instead of just, uh, you know, using Collecting, government yep. programs, right? And so what we found through research, we've done a, a lot, as you said, you know, we're big on collecting data research. Uh, w- you know, we found that, for example, when people first got a job, three-quarters of their income came from government programs. Once they got a job, three-quarters of their income came from employment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that in and of itself begins to reduce public costs. Uh, Obviously, they recycle through public programs, you know, to help uh, homeless people, to help, you know, uh, unfortunately, the criminal justice system, etc. So that lowers taxpayer costs. And at the same time, um, the program itself, unlike a lot of other social programs, is relatively low cost for uh, you know for society because it's a business that's selling products and services to the market so there's not kind of a cost on that side of what you would call the cost-benefit equation and um, and you know people are are paying taxes instead of drawing down public programs so that's that's the essence of it yeah and and you you mentioned that these are businesses and I think and you know you're talking about investing so just to clarify these are not nonprofits right? A lot of the companies that we invest in are indeed nonprofits. Yes. And so then how are they also business? Let's let's you know spell this out for our audience and our listeners and and perhaps even give an example of one. Yeah, uh you know they they're businesses because they sell uh products and services to the market and they earn most of the revenue that's needed to provide these jobs to individuals uh you know, from the sale of these products and services. And a, a great example is Fair Start, uh, which is up in Seattle. And they run a, a beautiful restaurant, which I urge your listeners to check out if they're ever up there in Seattle. My nieces, uh, I'll And then they go. do a whole training program to train people to be cooks, uh, you know, eventually chefs. They teach them about the whole restaurant and hospitality industry, which is, of course, booming uh, in the Seattle area. And uh, and they work in the they have work experience by you know working in the restaurant and actually um, one of their corporate partners has been so pleased with this Amazon that in their new small building, I'm not sure if you heard of the small company Amazon <laughs> yeah small company Amazon on their uh, on their main campus they've now uh, asked Fairstart to come in and run some of the food service for their own employees. That's so that's awesome. a tremendous example. Uh, and, you know, they're obviously just like any restaurant. You know, they're selling their product to the, to the community, but they're really using those jobs as training jobs 
so that uh, you know people can get the experience they need in a work environment that's really supportive um, and then eventually move on into the mainstream of the hospitality industry or you know into other jobs once they've gotten that that experience under their feet yeah exactly and I think that's something folks often overlook with workforce development initiatives is it doesn't mean that they'll be a chef for the rest of their life. You don't need to ask those questions about, well, can can the economy support this many chefs? It's something that goes on the resume. It's a hard skill. They get into a professional workforce. They can pivot from there. They could become, you know, work in operations in the restaurant or whatever else. Right. But it's a gateway into a, a workplace and all, all the things that come with it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So true. And, and, you know, and I think most of us have that experience, you know, or now I have, you know, uh, children in their 20s. You know, you have different jobs. You get experience on the job. Do you, you know, do you necessarily pursue that particular profession for your entire life? No. But, you know, you build up, uh, you know, kind of your skills and your um, and your experience over time, and that allows you to make different kinds of choices for yourself. And that's that's really what this is about. Well, and also learn about yourself, what you're good at, where you can add value, how, you know, yeah. how you can really um, be part of a team. There's there's enormous amount to learn from from jobs. Yeah, yeah, no, that is so true. And you know, as I said earlier, I mean, one thing that's always struck me is when I go out and I meet with people who have had these jobs. You know, often. Th- Generally, the first thing they say is not, oh, I'm so happy because now I have a paycheck, uh, even though their incomes, you know, may have been quite low before they got the job. Um, you know, really, that's what they talk about, exactly what you said, you know, the pride in work and the pride in participation in a team and uh, and contributing. And I think it has a huge effect, a ripple effect on, uh, you know, not just their life, of course, but their children who can see them working and see them feeling uh, good, their engagement, you know, with their children and their children's education, uh, their family, and and the community. Yeah, these, you know? these cycles tend to be virtuous or vicious, right? right. There's not yeah. a lot of in between. So, so true. When you can get things going in that direction, man, there's yeah. there's not a, there's not there's nothing not to love about Red F, right? You get this, you know, fantastic well, I'm a fan. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Great organization. Um, what I think is is really neat is the fact that you have generated this data to say at a dollar investment in this program can yield $2.23 and sort of like, you know, future economic benefits and cost savings because so much of philanthropy and, and social impact tends to be reactive mm-hmm. and like fixing problems. And it's a lot more expensive to fix problems. You know, it's, it's yeah. what do they say? Better to build men, build better to build boys than fix men, or something like this. But <laughs> yeah. you know, this is this is great that you can defend that and to, to be able to say it's it's worth the money up front because here's the you know sort of net savings. Yeah, you know, and the savings are really important. And then you know, I think there's another. I mean, you know, another nice data point is people's. Uh, incomes went up 268% once they went to work. So, you know, people are earning more money, which is a good thing. But I think really interesting, and we're actually doing yet another uh, study right now that we'll uh, hopefully see this affirmed. But in in the first round of data we did, we found that people who got a job in a social enterprise 
were 33% more likely to be working a full year later than people who got sort of traditional workforce services, which are essentially, you know, kind of brushing up your resume and learning how to do an interview and things like that. And I think that's really an important point, too, because, you know, I think there's some frustration with some of our workforce system and whether or not it's really working, and particularly whether or not it's really working for people who, uh, you know, who face significant barriers to uh, employment because of histories of, you know, perhaps homelessness or incarceration or that kind of thing. And so I think that data point, you know, really got us excited that, you know, we're on to something that has a deeper effect than the status quo. Yes. And uh, as this grows around the country, maybe we can, you know, as you said, you know, really have that impact on uh, on people's lives. So, Carla, let's dig into that a little bit more. What's your What's your hypothesis about why why the social enterprise approach is is more effective at keeping people in the workforce. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, at least in my experience, when I talk to people who have not been employed and have, you know, had some really rocky and rough experiences in their lives, um, often what they, you know, were sort of offer is, as I said, kind of resume brush up or, uh, or you know, traditional education. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of these individuals, uh, first of all, you know, they need some income. They're not able to just, you know, take a year and learn <laughs> and then go back uh, into the workforce. Uh, and And also, you know, there's nothing like real work experience to help you, as you said earlier, understand sort of who you are, what your challenges might be in real time. And, you know, they're the, the little things. In fact, I heard a, a great story from someone who works in a social enterprise that sort of explains it. There was a young man, uh, he was working in retail out uh, on the floor. A customer was complaining about something. And the young man did a terrific job, you know, with verbally saying, you know, what what he needed to to try to, uh, you know, accommodate the shopper. Um, But the manager of the social enterprise noticed that as he was having the interaction, he took a step toward the customer, Mm. which may seem like such a small thing. But, you know, if you're that customer, it might feel a little threatening. Right, right. And that young man had no idea because, you know, verbally is very appropriate, had been, you know, well prepared. Uh, so the manager was able to take him aside and just give him that little coaching mm-hmm. point. And that in and of itself, you know, may have meant at the next job he had that he was successful. Or the next interview of, that he got the job, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, or just, right, exactly. And so I just think there's nothing like, you know, real-time experience. And, you know, for many of us, as we're growing up, maybe we have a neighbor or a friend of or family, you know, who gives us a job uh, and is honest with us, you know, tells us, look, no, you can't show up here late every day. You know, I'm going to have to fire you. But it's in a, you know, it's in a respectful and um, supportive environment. And a lot of people don't have that. Well, and if that, they don't, in a way, you know, that's what they can get in social enterprise. And, and I mean, you're right. I was just going to add on to that point because part of, again, because it is a social enterprise and not just a business, 
there is the baked into it is this commitment to making it the job work right so there's there's a real commitment to training coaching advising that, yes that's absolutely right and it it you know it goes beyond um in addition to you know creating that really supportive work environment and let's face it at the front lines you know managers are pretty hard yeah. on frontline employees yeah so you know these are companies where the management as you said is extremely supportive and then there are services provided sometimes by the enterprise and sometimes by their partners uh that people need and that ranges from you know, what you'd expect, uh, you know, classes in professionalism or customer satisfaction, you know, basic, uh, you know, computer skills, things like that. Um, sometimes it's a life coach. Sometimes it's sort of life skills education. Sometimes it's dealing with, you know, mental health or uh, addiction problems that somebody may have had. So, you know, there's a, there's a wide array of issues that might prevent us from being successful at work, Many of us use our network to get the kind of support we need to be successful. But if you don't have that, uh, you know, that's what social enterprise provides. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as I said, there's, there's really not, not a lot not to love here. Um, but I'll, <laughs> let, I'll let you tell us what's not to love. What have been some of the challenges to the growth of an organization like this, whether they're, you know, perception issues when you're working with sort of, you know, populations, I think you called them or someone on the Internet called them forgotten Americans um, when you're working, you know. What have been the challenges? What have you had to overcome? Yeah, I mean, I think on the on the people level, you know, there definitely, uh, you know, are biases in our society. I mean, the the um, a disproportionate number of people, unfortunately, uh, you know, who are in prison or who are homeless, uh, first of all, are uh, are people of color, and that stemmed from. Uh, you know, a whole variety of, you know, unfortunately, discrimination in the workplace, uh, in housing, et cetera. So people, first of all, face, you know, may face, uh, you know, bias on that, on those grounds. And then employers, of course, are going to look quizzically at people who may have a long gap in their resume, uh, you know, or may uh, actually have been incarcerated. And they're not, you know, they're uncertain whether or not that person is well prepared. And that kind of cuts to your previous question. Another thing that's beneficial about social enterprise is it's not my social worker who's giving a call to the manager to say, I'm, you know, I'm a good bet. It's actually my supervisor who's calling the manager of another company to say, no, this person has been a great employee. So that's, you know, that's certainly a a difference with social enterprise, but it is uh, a challenge that we face in the, in the workplace. What we find is once people do hire these individuals, they're among the most loyal, uh, hardworking of any of the staff that they have. And we get that feedback again and again and again, because they're so, uh, you know, they're so excited to have uh, to have a job and to be given that chance. Yeah. So that's sort of on the people side. I would say for the growth of social enterprise, I mean, running a business of any kind is a challenge. Running a business that intentionally employs people who haven't really had a chance to uh, to work or to work in a long, you know, haven't done it in a long time um, and may face some challenges, it's really tough. And what we see is that some of the best, smartest entrepreneurs in the country are the ones who are running these enterprises and starting these enterprises. 
Uh, but it's it's hard to do. You know, it's hard enough to start up a successful small business. So, you know, that kind of preparing, you know, leadership that's uh, that's capable of running these businesses is really important. And frankly, you know, the capital. I mean, any business sector needs capital for for yep. growth uh, and for startup. And uh, unfortunately, because these are these hybrid businesses. Uh, that are creating the social return on investment, it's tougher to get capital, uh, you know, for those purposes. So, you know, we've really found that the capital that we can provide, the advisory services are critical. Uh, and, you know, we're frankly, we're just trying to raise as much of it as we can because uh, there are entrepreneurs willing to do this work around the country, which we should be grateful for. Right, right. But they need some backing. And uh, so that's that, I would say, is another uh, another challenge. Yeah, and I just want to remind our listeners, you're, you're listening to Carla Javits, who's the CEO and president of Red F. We're having a fascinating conversation about really employment in, the, in this country and the power of employment for uh, some traditionally underserved populations. Um, I'm curious, Carla, as we as we sort of dig into the specifics on the program, I have a background in working in homeless services. And when I'm looking at the sort of wraparound services that, that are referenced around Red F., I can't help but ask if you face the same challenge I did and we did, which which is where do you stop? And I'm going to paint a picture for for our listeners mm-hmm. a little bit there. Y- you know, your obviously core mission is getting these individuals into jobs, but pretty pretty quickly, let's say you're working with individuals experiencing homelessness as a part of your population, you realize, gosh, you really need a formal identification to get a job. Okay, so and let's let's help you get that, and you know, what sort of services or groups can we partner with to help you get the driver's license or whatever the case might be. And literacy is important. And financial literacy, once you're earning a paycheck, what do you do with it? And nutrition and housing. And it bleeds. It's not to say it's bad, but it's very hard to sort of find the edges. Okay, this is where our responsibility ends. Mm -hmm. Because if all those other parts exist, you're more successful with Red F, right? Your, Your individuals are more successful. So, you know, how do you draw those lines? How do you decide what's in scope and out of scope for what Red F engages with? It's a wonderful question. Uh, And um, I would say that uh, sort of where you started is you we've set a certain objective, which is to help people prepare for employment, get a job. And our goal is for people to be able to stay employed for a for a year. What we've seen from the data on, you know, lots of other programs around the country is once you've worked, uh, it actually ranges in the different studies between six months and a year, virtually everything in your life that you would want to see change, changes. You know, in other words, people's lives really uh, change dramatically once they've worked for a minimum of six months up to a year. Um, And, you know, you can kind of understand why that would that would happen you know you're more stable you've sort of changed your identity uh you know maybe some of the things that you were doing before poor choices you were making you know they don't seem so attractive anymore once you've actually had that work experience so our goal is to keep people in the workforce for a year and we see the you know kind of the range of service if you will as focused on exactly that um, you know, as you said, you know, listen, for all of us, we can benefit from services and support throughout our lives. We have many complicated problems. Yes. Uh, you know, they never, that, that doesn't cease. 
the question is, are we able to stay employed, uh, you know, while we're trying to deal with those things? And are we plugged into some kind of a network where we're, you know, we're able to access some of the support that we may need uh, ourselves independently? And obviously, work is a big part of both of those. You know, for many of us, you know, if we have a problem or something's going on, we get some service. Perhaps we have an employee assistance program at work. We have a health plan. Uh, you know, we have coworkers. We have colleagues who themselves, you know, face these challenges and problems, and they have ways to deal with them. So, you know, the idea is not that everybody's problems are completely solved, but it is that once you go to work, uh, you're probably in a much better position to address some of the issues and challenges you may face yourself. So that's really how we limit uh, kind of the scope. Yeah, and and uh, among the organizations that you work with and invest in, I assume that there are both the model where where they have a uh, a kind of it's very much a training program where they may have a limited time with this with the company. Versus others where the goal is to say, as long as you're, you know, as long as you're doing well, you can be with us forever. Mm -hmm. Do you have both of those in your portfolio? Yeah. uh, You know, what we're really focusing on is the first, which is um, training and work and then moving on Mm -hmm. into, uh, you know, into some other job. That said, all of these companies have to have long-term employees. You can't run an entire company with everybody transitioning <laughs> right. out. Right. <laughs> you know, that's not viable. And we're just so, in the hiring process, so I understand entirely. Yeah. So, we want 20-year you know, employees after, find, <laughs> after the work you go through to find the right ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, it is an irony, and that's why I say the entrepreneurs who run these companies are so amazing because, you know, in a sense, you're graduating out your best employees mm-hmm. on a constant basis. But on the other hand, some some people who get a job in a social enterprise that we support, they do move on into management. They move on and move up. We even have examples of people over time who have started their own companies. Nice, uh, you know, coming out of social enterprise. But they, you know, so some of them do stay long term. But uh, we really focus on uh, training and transition out. You know, in part because there are so many people who are in need of mm-hmm. that starter job and that support mm-hmm. in order to get into the workplace. Um, you know, and we're fortunate to live in an economy where there are, you know, there are other mainstream jobs. So just in order to have impact at scale, we thought it was the smart thing to focus on this transition, uh, you know, from social enterprise into the mainstream workforce. You know, that said, we're all very different and the businesses that we support uh, are not a cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. So one might provide, you know, if I'm, a, you know, I'm in my early 20s and I stole a car and I went to prison and now I'm out and I need a job, you know, I may need a job for three to six months and then I can move on and move up and do fine. But if I've been homeless for 20 years and I've had a mental health issue, you know, it may I may need, you know, a year on the job or a year and a half on the job before I'm really ready to move out into a main, mainstream employment. So it's not a cookie cutter, but we really focus on those companies that provide the bulk of their jobs as transitional employment. And they all do some kind of hard skill and soft skill uh, training you know, while you're there. And so are you looking for employment partners? Um, you know, as, you mean uh, after the job? Oh, after, no. oh, oh. Yeah, I'm just sort of recognizing oh. that the sort of call to action opportunity uh, okay. we have with this megaphone and saying, you know, as Red F, 
you know, grows and does it work, does its work. What are the, you know, social yeah. enterprises you're looking for? You know, how can folks get involved if they hear this and say, like, I, that is something I'd really like to support? Yeah, well, there's there's you know two ways over the over the internet to get involved. You know, one is our our basic um, redf.org uh, website, which has some you know great information on all the companies that we invest in, uh, as well as many videos of the data that I've been citing. Uh, and then we have a, a separate uh, uh, website that's called Redf Workshop. One word: redfworkshop.org. And that has really been to build the field. So we have hundreds of social enterprises across the country that are part of that. And there's a whole suite of tools um, on there that people can take advantage of to, you know, that we've, you know, what we've learned over the years about how to really run these businesses effectively. Exciting uh, breaking news there is that we just launched this week for the first time we got a, a national census. Oh. of social enterprise. Huh. So if you're a social enterprise or you're a company, you don't call yourself a social enterprise, but you deliberately employ people, you know, who have faced these barriers and train them and help them move on, you know, you are definitely one of this community. And we're really trying for the first time to paint a picture of this community all over the country so that we can make a better case for the you know, for the capital and the resources that are needed. Ooh, so we have that to check that out. Another way, uh, log on to redfworkshop.org, uh, or you can find at the redf.org site, participate in our census. And then, as you said, we really do need, uh, in addition to, you know, capital investments, employment partners uh, who uh, are willing to ha- take a look at people who are trained by these social enterprises and hire them. And we have some companies uh, in Los Angeles, we have a pub- public-private partnership there. Do you want to give a shout-out to the employers. company? Huh? Do you want to give a shout-out to the company in Los Angeles? Uh, well, there there are a number of companies. Tender, Tender Greens is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, CVS has actually been a really great uh, employer in this area. Another so. strong social impact. Yeah. CVS. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are companies Oof. that are looking at doing this. Actually, Whole Foods has been a, a great partner also. So, you know, companies can hire people who are prepared, and it's good for them. Yeah. You know, they're they're sourcing talent that's you know really really well prepared and well supported. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other is, you know, these are businesses like any other business, and they need customers. Mm-hmm. So if you're purchasing landscape services, or uh, you know, or food. Uh, or, you know, lunches for your employees, whatever it may be, um, in many parts of the country, you could be buying those products and services from social enterprises. And so we really encourage that. And once we've got the census done, I was just gonna uh, ask, we're going to yeah. put up a big uh, map, and it's going to be an interactive map where you can easily find the social enterprises in your community. Right, because I think that, that we, we our previous guest was talking about having to make um, – make the information gathering fun and easy, right? And mm-hmm. so if if I have to search for social enterprise, I might, you know, mm-hmm. I might not know how to find it. But if your census helps me and says, you know, there's somebody in Iowa that's doing a social enterprise, doing a product that you might be able to use, that makes things much, much easier for yeah, me. Yeah, especially exactly. if these are, if they, you know, you reference landscaping, right? If this is something a business or, re, you know, residence is buying anyway, and it's sort of like, 
I don't know, I'm going to open, I mean, I'd say the phone book, but I'm going to open my phone <laughs> and look up and I, you know, I'm not that differential in my preferences here. I need someone to cut the lawn. If you can do it in a way that sort of has this positive social impact, why not? Why not? Yeah, that's right. And as you know, you know, with companies for a long time, we've had, uh, you know, an effort to do kind of affirmative, you know, supply supply chain and buy from companies that are run by women or minorities because, you know, we think it's important to drive business into, uh, you know, into those companies and into those communities. And I think, you know, social enterprise presents a wonderful complement to that. You know, it's a business with a social mm-hmm. mission, as you said, $2.23 for every dollar spent. Uh, so, you know, it's a good investment for us as a society, and we hope over time that uh, these kind of supplier diversity programs really begin to incorporate social enterprise. Wonderful. Well, we, as, as, as I'm sure is very apparent to our listeners, we couldn't be more supportive. Uh, we encourage folks to log on, check it out, especially Red F Workshop. That's .org. That sounds really neat. Carla, we're going to have to wrap up our segment, but thanks so much for being with us for the great conversation and, and for the great work you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. Thank have, you. Have a great day. Once again, you're listening to Dollars and Change on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.